Hello and welcome to another episode of Mother Other, a place to share conversations with the mothers who continue making their mark on the world whilst navigating the demands of motherhood. My name is Amy Pearson and I'm your host. Welcome back. I have decided to publish episodes fortnightly rather than weekly, just in case you missed that memo, uh, just for the time being, but I do hope to go back to weekly as soon as I can. To help with this, I have gone and created a Patreon page. So if you love the show and want to hear more, or you'd just like to show a bit of support for a hardworking mum, head to patreon.com slash mother other, and you can support us for as little as a dollar a month. Today's episode is really exciting. It is one I've been looking forward to for a long time. Uh, it is with the wonderful Alice Robinson, an Australian writer, uh, author of Anchor Point and The Glad Shout, which is my absolute favourite book of the year. The Glad Shout is about climate uh, climate disaster experienced by Australians here in Melbourne in the city, which I live in. Uh, she weaves two family storylines together and the book is saturated with the theme of motherhood. To me, this is the perfect combination. I found her ruminations on motherhood to be so profoundly affirming to me, especially at the time in my life where I was a new mum. And I wonder if people who aren't experiencing that would feel the same way, but either way, it is just an immaculate book and I highly, highly recommend you give it a read. In today's episode, Alice and I discuss the writing life as a mother, how we are treated in the workplace after becoming a mum, making friends as a mother, and experiencing mother's groups, plus identity crises, and much more. I'm going to read a quote out from The Glad Shout, because I was thinking of doing this during the interview, but somehow I messed up my notes and I didn't have it with me at the time. This is a, a little sort of segment which really just resonated with me at the time. I had a newborn and it's about being in the postpartum period. I'm not sure if it was a rumination on the past or if it was written at the time. I really should have asked her that during the interview. But I particularly love it because I was experiencing the rhythms of newborn life. So here it is. She hadn't enjoyed having a baby very much, and regretfully now, recollecting Matilda's babyhood from the safety of having survived it, she would have given almost anything to be able to return to those quiet days spent at home with Matilda asleep on the breast. In retrospect, she can appreciate the profound sweetness and vulnerability in a newborn's rhythms, even though Matilda's complete dependence on her had been the thing she found most suffocating. She wishes she had been able to distance herself a little bit from the exhaustion the fear that she was doing it all wrong, to take the time to enjoy the particular scent of Matilda's newborn head. But she hadn't realised that it wouldn't last forever and that she was wishing away something that she would never get back. Alice writes so eloquently about motherhood that I could read out quotes for hours and I could have asked her a million more questions, but I had to wrap it up eventually. I am so thankful to Alice for writing a book that resonated so well with me at the perfect time in my life. She has a gift and I hope she continues to share it. So that's all from me in this intro. Thank you so much for being here. Enjoy the episode. Number eight, Alice Robinson. This is Mother Other and I am Amy Pearson. So I'm a mother to Etta, who's nearly seven and the pronouns are they them which has been interesting journey and yep. Artie or Arturo who's who's just turned five 
Amazing. I love the names. They're so beautiful. Thank you. And you are an amazing fiction writer, as I mentioned before, um, my favourite book of the year, The Glad Shout. I actually read it when Dory was a newborn and it was one of the last books that I finished really quickly before I sort of stopped reading as much because, as you know, it gets pretty crazy. Um, Mm. And you wrote so beautifully about motherhood, which is what I loved mostly about the book along with everything else, but that was just the main thing that stood out for me. Um, I was always underlining sentences and bookmarking (laughs) pages. Um, which sort of deters my husband from reading it, but I'm going to get him to read it eventually. Um, Where does your love of writing come from? Oh, that's a really good question. I always loved reading. I was an only child. I am an only child. So I think when you don't have siblings, there aren't that many activities that are fun to do, actually. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, I spent a lot of time on the trampoline and a lot of time playing with my doll's house and a lot of time reading drawing like anything that you can do solo Mm. and um but also uh my mother is an a kind of an academic and her field is um adult literacy so for her reading literacy is a big thing and my father is a visual artist and so we sometimes joke that the natural kind of product of a visual artist and someone who's interested in um, education or literacy is a writer maybe. Mm. Um, So they, you know, there's a strong influence there. And, yeah, I've just always loved reading. And actually when I finished high school, um, I had planned to be an actor. That's what I wanted to do. But when – when my results for year 12 came out, they were higher than I expected them to be. And mm. it meant that I was able to, I was offered a place at Melbourne Uni to study um, creative arts, which was a more academic field than I was sort of imagining. And I was pretty burned out after all the exams and everything in year 12. So I just went straight into that course rather than doing auditions yeah. for maybe the VCA or somewhere that I would have had in mind. And that kind of really changed the course of my life. And mm. But um, the thing about acting and writing is that in a way they kind of use some similar skills. So yeah. it's not as separate as you might have yeah. might imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's been a really interesting journey. I mean, in a way I was probably always a better writer than actor anyway. Okay. So, yeah, I'm really – It worked out um, the best. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I went to your Melbourne Writers Festival talk on motherhood with Clementine Ford, which was, I loved yes. it so much. Um, and you mentioned that you said specifically, I didn't have the kind of mother that I wanted to grow up to become. <laughs> I was wondering if you could expand on that for me. I think I had a really, um, my mother's amazing in many ways. Um, and she really, but she wasn't the kind of mother who like baked cupcakes, for example, like that she didn't kind of fit with the cultural idea, ideal of what mothers might be. And I don't think I do either. I mean, who does really? Mm, It's a made up story about mothers, but perhaps when I was a little kid or somewhere along the way, you kind of ingest that cultural story about what mothers will be like. Mm. And maybe even more so by the time I was an adult, I had really latched onto that. Um, so that when I became a mother, I kind of thought that that would, that I would be transformed into that, Mm. which is absurd because as I said, in that piece, I, I didn't have that kind of mother. I don't necessarily understand that vision of womanhood even. Yeah, yeah. I'm not 
that kind of woman. So why would having kids suddenly make me into that kind of mum? Mm. I don't know. Mm. But um, the process over these seven years of having these little kids has really been a kind of a recalibration of what a mother can be, who I am, and how those two things kind of fit together. Yeah. And in some ways that's been really challenging because I think I put a lot of pressure on myself. Like I see this with, it's not just me or my mum or I see this with so many women that um, we have hold ourselves to such high expectations about, yeah, the transformative aspects of mm. motherhood that we will become more patient, kinder, um more maternal in all these kind of apron wearing cookie baking ways Mm, yeah and some of us just aren't like that I don't really like cooking actually my kids just said to me tonight Artie said and we had pizza night and we watched a movie together and but Artie doesn't like pizza so he gets to choose something else and he wanted the terrible um packet macaroni oh yeah he didn't even want me to cook that. He wanted his, his dad to cook it because that, that's what kind of cook I am. Like he doesn't even want to bake the packet macaroni. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, yeah. Getting back to the glad shout, I have like sporadic questions about the glad shout throughout this interview. Yes. Um, was the family unit in the glad shout somewhat inspired by your own family unit when you were growing up? No, I, I'm a, yeah, I, no, not really. Okay, um, that's an interesting question too. I don't know where these characters come from. I mean, some of it is obviously drawn from life, but in a way, it's more like the emotional mm. nuance of the characters or their internal lives or something is, or what they feel or what they understand about the world um, is more truthful. But they're kind of. Uh, relationships to one another and who they are in the world is kind of fictionalized and it comes out really organically. I'm not a very good planner when I write. Mm-hmm. Some some writers seem to be able to conceive the whole story and the characters in advance. But yeah. for that book in particular, it was just a matter of like I had the issues, of course. I was interested in climate change and um, I knew I wanted to write about that. But in terms of who those characters would be to tell that story, I didn't really know until I started writing. Yeah, okay. Um, in a way, I suppose all of the characters are a little bit like me. Like Isabel, the main character, her mum is that kind of career woman. She's a real estate agent. She cares. She has an idea about what constitutes being a good parent and a good giving her kids a good childhood and for her that means a good education and a lovely home yeah. and I guess in some ways that that was my experience of childhood and it's also kind of what I think about being a parent too mm. but her child doesn't necessarily um, appreciate those things or think that they're the right things to focus on yeah Just which is always she, the way that's right yeah but in a way also, I, you know, I relate to the grandmother too who's more bohemian and in some ways that was also my experience of being a child, you know, to yeah. focus on the arts and to be taught that that's the important, mm. that having, you know, travelling and, and having experiences are what's important. Mm. So I think all of these things in a way with fiction when you're writing a novel like that, um, the, the, the core ideas or the complexity of your experience gets bequeathed in little chunks to different characters. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, you also mentioned in your talk at 
the Writers' Festival that you began seriously considering motherhood in your late 20s. Uh, well, what was happening in your life at that time? Did something inspire the train of thought that you felt you were ready or, or was being a mother something that you'd always kind of imagined doing at some point? I was really one of those kids who wanted to be a mother from like toddlerhood almost. Oh, wow, yeah. I, I really always wanted to have my own kids and that never really changed so that I mean in a way that's telling too and interesting to me because I don't consider myself as one of those imagined cookie baking mums and yet I was very strongly maternal my whole life Mm. so um that's an interesting like kind of conundrum or something to unpick in terms of the vision versus the reality yeah anyone can be maternal Mm. and Yes, I always knew that I wanted to do that. I was really lucky to um, meet the uh, father of my kids when I was in my early 20s. So by the the time I was in my late 20s, we'd already been together some time. And we'd travelled and I'd finished my PhD. I felt like I'd done a lot of things, so I was just ready. But the other thing is that I'd really ingested this idea which is a bit different to many of my friends. I, I felt more keenly the the sense of the biological clock and that I'd really ingested this idea that your fertility declines after 35. Mm, yep. And that really weighed heavily on me. Somehow that really resonated and I thought, oh, I don't – maybe because I did see myself more as a kind of um, a career person a little bit or something or um, – I just knew that I should be careful not to leave it too long. Yeah, yeah, something that I felt. Yeah, I don't know where it comes from either, but, yeah, that's always been in my mind. Yeah, that's interesting because um, actually then it meant that I was the first person in my friendship group to have kids. Same as me. Okay. Yeah. I was 30 when Edda was born, so I wasn't that young. Mm. Um, But, yeah, it's hard to be the first, I think. Yeah, yeah. It comes with a lot of... Struggles and responsibilities almost. like And a yeah. bit of loneliness too. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And that experience for me was also compounded just because we'd also moved out of the city to the country so I didn't, oh, have, wow. um, I didn't have a support network around me when we did, when we had that baby, that first baby. And also it meant that my identity crisis, which I think happens to everyone in some mm. way or another when you have that baby, was more profound, I think, because I wasn't in my normal environment. I didn't have a support network. I kind of made everything harder. Yeah, that sounds really hard. Yeah. Did you feel the need to, before you were making that decision, to decide between your career and motherhood or because you'd finished your PhD and you sort of, were you already writing at that point? Yeah, I, the PhD was in creative writing. Okay. Um, And I'd submitted it maybe like really close to the end of the pregnancy, it felt like. And I had, as I say, like this baby was really wanted and I'd always for many years imagined what it would be like, which is also interesting actually because my um, husband said to me, you know, like little boys are not invited to imagine fatherhood from Mm. age three or whatever it is. He said, you had many years to imagine and to concoct a lot of stories about what it might be like and maybe to prepare in other ways, whereas for him and for many men, it's not until really that baby arrives that they're 
they're going into that kind of, wow, what is this going to be like kind of headspace. Yeah, okay. And yeah. I think in some ways for me that compounded the kind of the tussle between the fantasy and the reality mm. because I'd been thinking about it for such a long time. But I submitted the PhD and I was ready to really sink into motherhood. I thought, you know, this is what I'm going to do now, I suppose. I did have the novel manuscript for Anchor Point in the first book, but okay. um, I also had pretty low expectations about what was possible with that because I know and you had been told by every man and his dog that being a writer was hard, that it was impossible to get published. Wow, yeah. And I just kind of thought, okay, um, maybe that's the case. But then when Etta was six weeks old, um, a publisher called and said they wanted to publish it. So I'd sent it into a a firm press um I just sent it into the slush pile where people say manuscripts go to die so I didn't expect anything to happen yeah. but I'd sent it in just before Christmas and they cleared out that slush pile um over the holidays and took some of the manuscripts away to read on holidays and mine was one of them oh amazing yeah. And you would probably relate to this, Amy. When when the publisher called, I was asleep with the baby, you know, when you finally succumb to, like, trying to rest when they do. Yeah. And I got this message on my phone and I thought, oh, my God, um, maybe I've missed the chance and I was asleep. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that wasn't the case. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. But, oh, absolutely. Like, I imagine being one of the people reading that manuscript and being like, yes. This has got to be published. That would have been a great job to have. Um, in your case, writing during early motherhood, especially after you'd found out that that novel was getting published, was it something that you felt the urge to do or were you sort of in the lull of motherhood and you didn't really have? I, um, what happened? So it, it was complicated because from that moment when they said they wanted to publish the book, um, then there was deadlines and, and mm. work that was required to happen in editing and things. And it was like having to learn an entirely new skill from scratch because, of course, you're really exhausted, as you know. Yeah. And the way that you have access to time is completely changed. Um, and that was quite challenging. I don't even know how I did it, really. I think I called in a lot of favours and people would look after Etta for a few hours, even one hour, and I would just madly go and mm. do what I could on the manuscript to get it ready for publication. And then after Anchor Point came out, again, my expectations were really low. I never expected it to get published uh, crazily, even though I'd done this PhD. And then when it was published, people said, oh, well, you know, you won't sell many or um, – <laughs> People would say, you know, where can I buy this book? As though I'd be like opening the boot of my car. And, oh my gosh! Um, you say, well, you can buy it in a bookshop, like other books. But so I was kind of coming from that place, which in a way protected me from. I don't know. If you've got low expectations, I guess you can only be pleasantly surprised, hopefully. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I, of course now I think I should have backed myself more, but that was sort of where I was operating at. I guess and it's I hard that, when you have no experience in that sort of right. Yeah. Especially when you're in that fragile state after giving birth to a baby. Like, yeah, that's full no, on. I think um, part of the protective agent was also the baby because, you know, you're so, you don't have time to fret or worry or yeah. Uh, well you're just getting on with it but then anchor point was long listed for the stellar prize and um you know it was reviewed beautifully in the newspapers and people were reading it and once that had happened I thought oh I've 
written a book that people have responded to. Um, and I desperately didn't want the story to be that I'd done that, then had children and not been able to do it yeah, again. Yeah, of course. Which also is a lot of pressure to live under and unnecessary pressure. But you do mm-hmm. these things to yourself, don't you? Yeah. You, you just... And also because the motherhood and the writing suddenly became so intertwined, like it was like I became a professional writer at the same point that that baby arrived. Mm. I don't know. I was just desperate to to make good on the promise of the first book. So then I, I kind of committed to writing the second book. Yeah. And I'm and glad I did. <laughs> I haven't read the first, but I feel like you obviously came back even bigger and stronger than the first because it's been so successful and it's such a great book too. So... I don't know, I feel like maybe motherhood was the perfect thing for you at that point. I think so, and also it's interesting because the first book is also in a way about motherhood. Oh, okay. Um, but it's told from the child's point of view mm. and the, the, the mother in that story is um, a kind of ambivalent mother. She leaves the kids. And I always felt that she was kind of a baddie, if you like, or she was a, a reprehensible woman in some ways. But now I really have, you know, my allegiance has shifted. Okay, yep. <laughs> I feel like we all, you know, once you've got kids, you can understand how people um, struggle yeah. with the role. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to probably keep referring back to your talk at the Writers' Festival because I recorded it on my phone because I was like just I needed to re-listen to it and I got so many pointers from it Um, and I gained a lot of perspective from it. But you said that pre-motherhood you saw it as a chance to be airlifted away from your core identity and into a persona that was much less complicated, which made me laugh (laughs) really hard because the whole pod, this whole podcast is about how complex and transformed our lives and identity can become post-baby. Can you talk about (laughs) your experience with this becoming a reality? Do you feel less complicated as a mother than you were pre-baby? Yeah, that's really interesting. Also, all this (laughs) stuff's so interesting to me. I, I, I feel like um, when I had that baby, I suddenly became like some kind of anthropologist operating in a foreign land because I felt like, um, you know, motherhood is universal. The kind of the interesting thing about it is that it's the most ordinary thing that can happen, and mm. it, but it's also the most extraordinary when it's happening to you. Mm. And I felt like, why do I know so little about this condition that um, I'm a product of mm. and also is happening everywhere how can I be so woefully ill-informed about what is involved with this and how cataclysmic it will be on my life? Mm. That seems bizarre. I remember going to the first mother's group meeting that I was able to get to and it was probably, Etta was probably like six weeks or two months old by then because I was one of those people who thinks they won't go and they don't need it. But when, you know, by the time I rolled up there, I was kind of weeping and just it was so overwhelming. But the first person I spoke to turned to me and said, I don't think I'm really liking being a mum. <laughs> and I just said, oh, thank God, somebody's kind of cut through that other narrative. Because yeah. Because it is amazing and it is beautiful. and But it's also really grueling and overwhelming and confusing. And yeah. so in terms of myself, uh, has it made me more complicated? Probably. It's added a lot of complexity, you know, but yeah. where before you go forward in the world as just one person making decisions for yourself, like even like I'm going to go to the bathroom now, I'm going to walk down the street, you yep. know, somehow those simple actions become complex. Mm. 
Um, but it's also clarifies a lot of things about what's important about your priorities. Yeah. And um, I guess in a way that's what happens in the novel too, that Isabel is able to dig down into herself and find kind of like some core strength or some core purpose. And I feel that motherhood does do that. Like the, on the flip side of all the hard things about motherhood, I also feel terrified about the moment when I'm not needed in that way because yeah. the needs of the children are so immediate. They give you so much purpose. Yeah, oh, they do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And you also mentioned that you felt disguise sort of in the park as a mother, but you also felt in disguise on stage at the Writers' Festival, like you were battling two personas. Um, How do you manage that? Do you think they'll ever kind of merge to make you feel... Whole. Yeah, because essentially to me it seems like that's the perfect combination, but it's so interesting hearing your perspective on how you feel like you're always in this alter sort of ego. Yeah, I feel like now the kids are getting a bit bigger Maybe I'm, I feel like I'm sort of like I said in that talk that um, if early motherhood is a tunnel, I'm emerging out of it now mm. because Artie is going to school next year. So it's like that um, that period of early parenthood preschool is finished for me mm. and I do feel returned to myself in some way now because there's a lot more kind of physical, personal freedom and maybe because of the book as well that I've yeah um I feel maybe more comfortable in that side of myself maybe but it's again it's partly geographical geographical like I live in regional Victoria it's not one of the trendy towns where there's a lot of yeah um, cafes changes. Yeah, yeah cafes stuff. it's a different kind of environment so the women that I'm meeting often a lot of them, you know, just in parks and things, they don't necessarily have the same interests as me. Or um, So in that way, yeah, that part of myself is a little bit hidden. And I also feel like in the workplace, maybe not so much in the writers' festivals or in my writing world, but in my paid work and in other workplaces like it, um, you feel that you have to work as though you don't have kids. Yeah. That to be be too mummish in the workplace is to leave yourself open to criticism mm. or um, make yourself vulnerable that you're not a good worker or something in some way. There's yeah. a lot of judgment, I suppose, I yeah, feel. Okay. Yeah, that's mm. interesting because I haven't been back in a normal workplace yet so I have no idea what to expect in that realm of reality, you know what I mean? That's, yeah, really interesting. Um, do you think that now your sense of self has stabilised somewhat, especially after pushing through sort of your ambitions that you seem to be achieving. I'm assuming they're your ambitions. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, do Um, you feel a bit more stable as your own person now, as I suppose compared to early 20s when we're all sort of who are we, what do we want to do, you know? Yeah, I think it was, I mean, um. Yes, the the 20s were a problematic time in some ways, but there was something for me about having those kids that um, because of this imagined cupcake-ish uh, crafting mm. idea, Steiner or Montessori 
kind of yeah. based mother that I really aspired to, I suppose, or that yeah. I thought that would that was what a good mother was. And I knew I kind of had the capacity and I wanted to kind of sink into it. Maybe that was the template. I thought, I don't know what I'm doing. I know those are good things in the world and good for children. Yeah. Maybe I can do that. Um, that kind of was a bit like wearing a costume or something. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't that it was inauthentic. It just felt like a lot of work. Like it felt like a lot of pressure. Yeah, and pressure, of, yeah. Um, striving to do these things because they were, the, I thought, the best things for the children. It's very maybe. similar to how I, yeah, saw my future and everything as well, yeah. I think we all do it. Like you see it all over the internet anyway and within the mm. women that I know, you know, we're out in the garden with our toddlers like making little veggie patches and doing all this stuff that we – um uh, striving to do because we know that it's good for them but it also is it is it entirely enjoyable all the time sometimes it just feels like you know especially things like cooking with kids anything that you know that they'll love it's also when you're really exhausted just a lot more work yeah absolutely you know (laughs) those things are really hard to grapple with but I feel you know and even things like now when I look back on the photos of those early years like I cut all my hair off I didn't know how to dress myself because um partly because my body was so profoundly impacted I had two c-sections in two years and you know, you just your body's really changed by the experience, but also, you know, the lifestyle that you're living. So before I had kids, I really loved, you know, vintage retro '50s style mm-hmm. frocks and colorful stockings and things. But they're not really translatable to a life where you've got two kids under two and you're spending all your time down on the floor and in playgrounds. Yeah. And stuff. So it's like you open up your closet and it's just like, wow, that belongs to somebody else. Yes, yeah, yeah, I can relate to that too. And I also and can't fit into it. <laughs> yes, yes, and breastfeeding becomes an issue too because yeah. I'm in the earlier stages still. But, yeah, I open my closet and I'm like, I can't wear anything because I can't yeah. breastfeed. I can't pull my whole dress up out in public. Like, But, yeah, yes. I also found that um, – in relation to what you were saying about how you didn't know how to dress yourself. I feel like you spend so long before you have kids knowing your body and knowing yourself and then all of a sudden you go, whoa, six months has passed. I don't remember looking in the mirror. Like I don't even remember what I look like anymore. So, yeah, it becomes a real struggle to sort of know your identity, I guess, physically. In that way, I think for a long time, a number of years, I just thought, okay, well, um, I don't look in the mirror and maybe that's a good strategy and maybe I don't need to look in the mirror because I'm the mother of these children and I I'm, I guess I, I felt ancient and I felt um, like it wasn't even unattractive because it just didn't even rate in my day-to-day experience of mm. myself. But now the kids are a bit older and um, it's like I've been returned to myself in some key way and that's really exciting. I actually feel, like I said in that panel, I feel in- internally 25 again. Yeah, that's so amazing. it's like all of that's been released and I do have fun with clothes and I do enjoy getting dressed and I can go out into the world now. So There's a lot. Is, yeah, there is. <laughs> it is like a tunnel and yeah. um, you do emerge eventually and that's been mm. really exciting too because to imagine that it – 35 or 37 which is how old I am now that all of that would be put away forever Mm. is um sad yeah (laughs) yeah for sure about the um mother's group experience so I did make a little bit of a note about that but 
you've sort of covered it a bit. I was going to ask you, um, could you expand on your experience with Mother's Group and the expectations that we put on ourselves to, as you said, perform the ideal mother in front of strangers? Yeah, I still suffer from that a lot. I sometimes, especially with two little kids, and I can only imagine that if you've got three or four, it's even more profound that you feel like going out in public is um, not only logistically hard, but you're drawing a lot of attention all the time and the kind of fear about controlling kids, which we put on ourselves because often in public spaces, women with children are subjected to a lot of judgment about this kid's behavior. So sometimes I do feel like, oh, I can't take my kids there. It's going to just be too hard. And what the hardness is, is can I get these kids, can I bring my skill as a parent to bear on these children so that they will behave in a way that is acceptable to other people? Oh my God, yes. And, you just summed it up so well. <laughs> God, what a lot of pressure to put on yourself. Like, yeah. And it prevents you from just going down the street and getting milk and bread or whatever you have yes. to do. Um, but it's also about can I perform all of that in such a way that it's okay for them, for the other people. It's not even about the children at that yeah. point. And I'm doing it in such a way that those other people will actually think favorably of me while <laughs> I'm doing that and not judge me for, you know, grabbing them or shouting at them or whatever other strategies you might need to use mm. if you're really pushed, you know. Yeah. So that's an insane amount of now that I've articulated it like that, I think it's amazing that we do anything. Yes, and I don't think anyone else has ever summed up in a conversation with me exactly what you just said and I experience that all the time and I'm sure all mothers do. But especially when you mentioned the mother's group thing because I also thought, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like mother's group, but I went along anyway and I had one of the oldest babies in the group. So he was eight weeks and they were all quite young. And so I felt like I was, that was probably the hardest point actually, the eight weeks sort of two months to about four months was the hardest part for me. And I didn't know why anything. Why do you think that is? Why, why? Why was it the hardest? Um, I don't know. I guess I'd come out of the the newborn lull and he'd woken up a little bit and I was, like you said, just going out into the world and trying to wrangle this baby that cried at all these points that I never expected when it would happen and, you know, I, I thought I knew what I was doing but I didn't when I was in public and yes. it was the judgment and the overwhelm and, Um, feeling pretty isolated and especially my partner was back at work as well so I was alone a lot of the time and I remember going to mother's group and there was a lot of really lovely people there but I just felt like I was on a completely different point of the timeline to them and so I didn't feel like I could ask them for help or they would understand because they all had these really sleepy newborns and I felt like my he was also kind of a big baby so he was kind of awake really early and just very he's the funniest and the most amazing baby especially now but he was really hard to handle at that point and I just felt so overwhelmed I think I only went back once and at that one time that I went back I was so emotional that day and he was so emotional that day that I didn't even go in but I know but I do have a lot of mum friends with babies the same age so I wasn't completely alone I have a great little circle and I also felt like I didn't necessarily need mother's group as much as some other people would have but if I had have needed that it was so overwhelming I I salute people that continue to go to those things because it's so intense 
I think um, for me it was just a matter of survival because we'd moved to this new town. We moved to Malmesbury, which is on the way to Castlemaine, and we'd bought this really this miners' cottage from the 1860s with with this beautiful cottage garden. But the first winter after Etta was born, every room in the house leaked through the ceiling. So every time it rained, wow. so it was like we thought, oh my god, this is why it's was so cheap and we don't yeah. have the money to fix it. And, and you can't really um, test that out before you buy the house. <laughs> we bought it in summer, of course. Oh, yeah, okay. So it was pretty depressing. But also I didn't, yeah, I didn't know really that many people with babies, certainly none my baby's age. And so I was kind of like um, completely shameless. That's what happened. I became yeah. so shameless about just bowling up to women, even with children, but especially women with babies and start striking up conversations. Yeah. Um, so I became, I feel like, you know, one of the qualities that I've uh, developed as a result of motherhood is that I'm relatively good at making friends as an adult, which I think is yeah. wonderful. But I think also um, that mother's group became, you, you'll notice that the glad shout is dedicated to the women in that group, even though oh. not all of them. So the the, um, the dedication at the front of the book is to a series of women. They were all in my mother's group. And although not all of them are like really close friends now, as a collective, they really saved my life probably or, yeah. you know, um, created a net for me to fall into in the wake of having those little kids. Mm. And it was so profound. Just I think also um, – the advent of social media really helped Absolutely, because yeah. we were able to have an online friendship that could go all hours and be ongoing through the day. Yeah. As, as an adult, it takes a lot of time that you don't have in your 30s when you've got little kids to build up that level of intimacy that you yeah. can achieve really fast online. Yeah. So that really helped too. And actually if, when the kids were probably the big – by the time um, Artie – kind of came along um so we had the first round of babies and then two years later you know everyone started to have the second round of ah, babies wow. we, had, we had lots of all these little kids we'd produced as a kind of group and we hired my sister-in-law who's a wonderful photographer to come and take beautiful pictures of the friends the friends that's so sweet yeah lovely. yeah so that's... I feel very bonded it's a bit like um soldiers who go off to war together I think and develop that deep bond yeah wow <laughs> there's actually not really much else you could relate it to is there? there because not people that haven't experienced it especially I mean because we're the birthers and the the, most of the time the primary carers it's really hard for people who haven't experienced that to know just how like wounded you could be I guess yes and how different the world that you're shunted into is and how you're just clinging on to each other yeah Yeah, so the bond is really deep and quite immediate yeah if you if you need it that's making me feel so like warm thinking about my mother's group that I've sort of create we created a little group and it's I just they're so great like I'm just constantly on the whatsapp chat texting them (laughs) and like reading their messages it's the best um how connected is motherhood to your work now that you're creating I assume you're working on something I know it influenced the glad shout quite a bit um and apparently anchor point too but from a different perspective, I assume. Yes. Um, is it a theme that we'll continue to see throughout your work, do you think? I think so. I think, um, yeah, that's interesting. It won't be as central to the next book, I don't think, as it was to the Glad Chat, but if, but, there, but I think 
there's still a lot more to explore. Of course. For sure. Yeah. And um, that book, you know, really dealt with early motherhood in particular. So, mm, yeah, it'd be interesting yeah. to see as the kids age what what new revelations there are to yeah. write about. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, there's, oh gosh, I'm just thinking, I could have written so much in this to talk to you about because I've just got so many little paragraphs underlined. Like, it's just amazing because I was reading it in the newborn phase. So I was just going, oh my God, this is exactly what I'm feeling right now. Oh, thank you. I love so meaningful. Yeah, because I love, that's what I, I mean, writers are so important because a lot of the time, you as writers are writing things that other people are experiencing but can't put into words that are so profound and it's just really comforting to have that connection, you know? It's so beautiful. I feel like when I finished that book I thought, right, whether or not anyone relates to this or not, like or even likes the book or reads it, I feel like I've said all the things that I've had to say and mm-hmm. been kicking around in my mind for these, you know, five years or whatever it was. And I've said them all now and so I can kind of put that to bed. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like you can put it on your shelf and it's this incredible like relic. Yes. Yes. So what is next for you then, Alice Robinson? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm trying to write write something new but, um, again, you know, with family life and this is one of the things you'll already be experiencing the gears just keep shifting or the, the, the landscape shifts all the time. Like you just get comfortable with one stage and it's like, oh, what am I dealing with? Like oh, absolutely. everything's – so you're just constantly on the one hand you're on the back foot all the time and mm. you're, being, you're in response mode all the time and you're trying to establish what is going on for these children and what, what they need. And what I've found as the kids have gotten older and especially since Ed has gone to school is that um, – what they really require from me, and again, this is a little bit performative. I find it quite hard, but if it does feel more authentic, is a kind of uh, temperature setting in the house. In other words, when I start to go all, um, if I am in a high mood or very stressed or anxious or doing too many things, then I can see that replicated in them as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So part of the work of parenthood at this point is to create an environment where I am sort of in an even keel or manufacturing an even keel as much <laughs> as I can yeah. so that they can be at an even keel, which is a long way around of saying that the needs have shifted all the time it's partly about keeping um, low stress. But at the same time, one of the other gear shifts that has happened is that um, I've taken on a lot more paid work this year at the end, as the year's gone on. And so now I have chosen to do my 0.8 role four days over five days so that I can pick her up from school every day in Artie and bring them home for that 3.30 to bedtime part of the day where my work is just that trying to keep – provide a really stable, calm yeah. home life in that yeah. part of the day. And although that's really great for them and I can see how that's – so we're not getting the same kinds of pushback at bedtime. They're quite calm. They go through the motions of that, that lovely evening time with me rather than fighting, which is what they do, I think, when they feel they're not getting enough time with me. Yeah. And um, But it does mean that for in terms of my writing, that's – gets pushed to after they're in bed, a bit like your podcast. Yeah, yeah, of course. And that's not ideal, but I, as they get older as well, the other thing I'm trying to settle into more is that everything does shift really fast. So although I would love to have a full day or two or three or whatever for my work, I know that will come. 
Yeah. And I think I was quite freaked out when they were babies about the extent to which my freedom and my life was being curtailed, mm-hmm. even though I'd chosen it. Yeah. I think the the realities of how much time and how much energy and how much thoughtfulness and how much of yourself you're going to have to give to motherhood is pretty shocking. Yeah, it is. It's a real wake-up call, isn't it, When yeah. once you're in it? Yeah. And I was pretty stressed about that I think because you you don't realize you don't know that it's going to wax and wane you don't know that it's going to pass that moment you think you're stuck in that forever Mm. and I I felt quite um I just couldn't believe it but now I know that that yeah so this this arrangement is hard I'm just trying to do as much as I can in the time that I've got and I think that's the other good thing about it isn't it that you become pretty ultra productive oh totally (laughs) it's the one resounding thing everyone seems to be saying on the podcast it's like absolutely you all of a sudden become this superhuman that can just (laughs) achieve so much in a small amount of time and your kind of standards go way down. So now I just think, and it's changed my writing practice because I don't have days and days to work. I yeah. have a couple of hours when I'm pretty tired. Yeah. And that changes the nature of the work. So, um, but that's okay, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's all an experience. I mean, everything you produce is going to be at different points in your life and they're all going to reflect that in some way, I guess. Yes, and as long as you're just doing it. I, I do find it hard, though, because, you know, you've got the children, you've got paid work, I've got my creative practice. Somewhere in there, there should be time with your partner or time with friends, mm. exercise. Like, I just don't see how you can do all of those things in one day. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not in one day. <laughs> That's for yeah. sure. needs to be sort of sporadic across. But I, as someone I interviewed recently said, they don't like the term balance they like the term blend because it is kind of I mean how do you balance it's not really about balancing is it it's more about sort of just cramming it all in at different points and like making sure it's smooth if you can yeah without being too sort of overwhelmed by it all that is all the questions I have for you I have really enjoyed this conversation it's been so fulfilling and like everything I imagined it would be Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you. So I will um, hopefully, yeah, chat to you somewhere sometime soon. I'm sure our paths will cross again. Absolutely. I can't (laughs) wait to read more of your work as well. I'm really looking forward to whatever you produce next. Thank you so much, Amy.